0: Hello America, happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. We've got some exclusive new materials on the January 6th Capitol riots. More evidence of the dropped ball that occurred on Nancy Pelosi's watch on the Democratic leadership's watch. Years and months of warnings going back to 2019 when Democrats first took over the house. Warnings that the Capitol Police were not ready for a major event, that they had problems managing people, managing intelligence, that the equipment of, the security equipment of the Capitol was outdated. These are stunning and extensive. It isn't like it was just a little light warning and uh, people didn't pick up on the subtleties of it. There were multiple Powerful warnings to the House Democratic leadership, including to the House Administration Committee overseen by Zoe Lofgren at that point. She's one of the people you see on the January 6th panel right now. Warning, clearly warning, that the Capitol Police were in trouble when it came to intelligence, managing people, managing equipment, having updated equipment. We're going to cover that in a second. But first, let me tell you about today's guest. We've got two ones. We're going to focus a lot on the economy. Why not? Everybody's suffering. Gas crossed over. $5 as a national average, not even remotely close to the prior records. No one could have imagined a year ago we'd be at $5 gas in the spring and summer of 2022. But we have, it's one of the realities of the Biden economy. So there are two things going on. One is that we're seeing Bitcoin very volatile, but a lot of people talking about it, particularly in a different vein than the way we normally talk about it. All right, a lot of people want to say, how much is it worth today? And that's interesting. That's the horse race game. But in addition... There are enormous evidence that Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, have become valuable tools to empower people in tyrannical countries like Iran, Afghanistan, Venezuela, Palestine, region of Israel, that it can allow everyday people to get money, to get value, to get work and not have it stolen by the corrupt leaders or by the communist or and or tyrannical leaders of countries so it is a tool of freedom and a a lot of people haven't looked at that that way but one of my first guests today my first guest today does exactly that. His name is Fadi El Salameen. He is an expert, he also knows a lot about Palestine. He's gonna give you some shocking information about the Palestinian leader Abbas, how much he's worth, a sign of the corruption in that country. But he has a lot of roles. The most important is that the Bitcoin Policy Institute, we're very lucky to have him on. He's gonna talk to us about something you probably haven't heard, Bitcoin as a tool for expanding freedom in tyrannical countries. That's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, We're going to get all your questions answered there about Bitcoin. And then we're going to turn to Elaine Parker, my good friend of the Job Creators Network. She is uh, going to talk to us about all of the numbers that look so badly for President Biden at this moment. And let me just give you a couple of those numbers because there are five figures that I think define the future of the Biden presidency. My good colleague, Aaron Kliegman, wrote about him this morning. The headline is five numbers that tell the story of the Biden presidency. Let me just give you those five numbers real quickly. And I know we're going to talk to them with Elaine Parker at Job Creators Network in the second half of the show. But let's go through them and see what we have. 8.6%. You know what that is. That's the current rate of inflation. The highest since 1981 when Jimmy Carter turned over the reins to Ronald Reagan. That is a scary number, Right. and a penny, $5 and one cent. That's the price per gallon, the average price of gas in America. As it was on Sunday, it crossed over the $5 threshold nationally, according to AAA. That's a price that's taking a bite out of every single person's wallet. And of course, that is something that is beginning to create resentment and distrust for President Biden's administration, his policies. 234,088. That's how many illegal Migrants crossed our border in May, an all-time record. Another reason why people are so sour on the Biden administration's policy. Crime, sex trafficking, fentanyl flowing across the border because of the president's policies. 39%, well, that's the record low that the morning consult poll had Joe Biden's approval rating at. 39% is actually lower than where President Trump was in his presidency, certainly lower than any other modern-day President, the people of America have felt his policies firsthand, and that's why they're disapproving so much. 83%. That's the number of people in a Gallup poll last week that believe that they're dissatisfied with the way things are going in the United States. 83%. That is an overwhelming majority. In fact, it's kind of amazing that Biden's numbers aren't even more underwater. But those are some of the numbers that you need to have in mind. 83%, 39%. $5 and a penny, 8.6%, and, of course, 230,000-plus illegal aliens. That is why we find ourselves in this really difficult circumstance. All right, we're going to talk to Fadi, going to talk to Elaine in just a second, but I want to tell you about a story that we broke this morning. As you know, last week we had some big exclusives that really changed the dialogue a little bit last week about the January 6th primetime hearings. I was on Hannity. We talked about it. We put a whole bunch of new records, new paper, new memos from the Capitol Police Department showing the extent of security and intelligence failures that occurred on the day of January 6th, but more importantly, leading up to it. Intelligence wasn't shared. National Guard were turned down despite threat assessments that would have warranted them being there. Equipment failed. The riot teams didn't deploy quickly because their equipment was locked in a bus that nobody had the key to. Staffing wasn't appropriate. Communications didn't work. We've gone through all of those in that dramatic after action report that I made public at Just the News. Well, the question is, was this just one really bad day or was this a storm in the making for many years? And this morning, I was able to answer that question. And that is that all of those Capitol Police failures that occurred on January 6th were foreshadowed. In numerous earlier warnings, that's right, between 2017 and 2020, the Capitol Police Inspector General, the Capitol Architect, the Government Accountability Office, many institutions looking at the picture of the Capitol Police were raising red flags about their preparedness, about their training, about their ability to manage human schedules and human assets, about intelligence sharing. All of these were in Nancy Pelosi's hand, well, a year, 18 months before the January 6th crisis occurred, the breach at the Capitol occurred. And let me tell you, there's this moment where the then Capitol Police Chief Stevenson, who resigned over January 6th is testifying to the brand new Democratic-led House Administration Committee. So this is right after Pelosi took over. And he said he was worried about ensuring the preparedness of his officers in the field, his biggest initiative, biggest concern. He was worried that they didn't have the right equipment, that their morale was bad, that they didn't have the proper training to do their job. The Capitol inspector general poignantly warned that there was a problem with intelligence sharing, something that became exploitable or became one of the biggest concerns on January 6th. The FBI gave us significant intelligence to Capitol Police. It didn't share it to its commanders and its rank-and-file officers. So they went into January 6th thinking no big deal when, in fact, all of the intelligence the FBI had shared to some of the leadership was blinking red, warning, warning, warning. All of those things were portended in these earlier warnings that went to Congress, that went to Nancy Pelosi, that were discussed at a Democratic hearing in the summer of 2019. An enormous missed opportunity, much like the failures of 9-11 by the FBI and the CIA. The problem is after 9-11, there was a bipartisan effort to absorb those failures, to fully investigate them and to make them public so we can learn from them and make a better circumstance. That did not happen. It did not happen with January 6th because the January 6th committee isn't looking at those issues. They're protecting Pelosi, they're protecting Schumer, and they're trying instead to make this about Donald Trump. Those documents you can read today, there are over a dozen new documents I've put into the public realm today. Take a look at that. It is a very powerful story that I think has an enormous amount of impact on the debate. The Evidence that the January 6th committee doesn't want to give you that you need to have to understand how big a failure January 6th was from a planning, intelligence, security perspective, why the Democrats are trying to cover it up. All of that is in that story today. All right, folks, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Fadi El Salamine. He's going to talk about Bitcoin. and Then we're going to have the extraordinary Elaine Parker from Job Creators Network here to talk about the horrible state of our economy. What a great show right after this. Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a
1: total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: Welcome back from the commercial break, folks. Uh, Listen, we talk about Bitcoin often just on the fact that it's rising in value, dropping in value. But it has a much larger purpose as people look out over the diplomatic and security world. And that is it can empower everyday people in tyrannical countries like Iran or Afghanistan. Uh, to have freedom, to have free markets, to get paid and not have their money stole by corrupt actors. In Palestine, for instance, is a place where uh, you're beginning to see it. Our next guest is one of the true experts in the field of crypto, in the field of Bitcoin. Um, his name is Fadi El Salamine. He is uh, with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. He's a fellow there, one of the most important uh, players there. He also... There's a lot of work in Palestine. He is uh, really, truly an expert on it. We're so lucky to have him. Fadi, great to have you on the show. Great to be with you. Let's start with uh, the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Last week, you were one of the signatories to a letter that went to Congress. Tell us a little bit about that letter, what message it delivered, and why it is important to not only the Bitcoin debate, but also the push for freedom in America.
1: The letter was signed by about 20 human rights activists from all around the world, from North Korea to Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, Palestine, other places. And the letter is saying Bitcoin is important. Bitcoin is essential. Bitcoin is a tool for freedom, for development, for folks like us who are suffering from dictators, from uh, tyrannical leaders. And here are examples. In Afghanistan today, women who are programming who are creating um, a, a incredible code for companies outside Afghanistan but are fearful for their lives. They don't want the Taliban to know that they are working. They, they're afraid of the Taliban uh, seizing their bank accounts or, or seizing their money. The only way they're getting paid today is via Bitcoin. So that's one quick example on, on, on Afghanistan. That's,
0: amazing. that's an amazing story that a lot of Americans probably don't know.
1: Yeah, right now, that's the easiest way to make sure that people are making money. And, and these women are obviously, you know, they're breadwinners for their whole entire family. So, another, another place where, where Bitcoin is making a huge difference because of, uh, of its efficiency is Ukraine. The first few days of the war, the only way people were able to help the Ukrainians. Uh, get helmets, uh, protective uh, body uh, armors, and and ways to fight against the Russian occupation was to mobilize Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and send it in to buy these uh, protective equipment. Uh, Syria, today most of the aid um, programs are worried about the, uh, the, the Assad regime, which has killed over 600,000 people of its own, uh, own residents, and they don't want aid money to get into their hands. So the, right now, people are looking at creative ways to use Bitcoin to introduce aid to, to people who need it in places like Syria. North Korea, where the government changes and, and completely destroys the value of the currency that you're holding in your pocket, and, and they say, today we have a new currency, we have a new um, you know, a new currency and, and the value has changed just so that they keep the, the people obviously behold them to, to the regime. Bitcoin is an extremely essential tool. And, and so I want people to understand that it's not just, you know, it went up today, it went down today. This is how people are staying alive. Bitcoin is not just it's not just an investment. It's not a place where you can hold uh, currency and, and protect the value of, of your of your wealth it's a it's a tool for people to literally stay alive to literally escape the persecution and, and tyranny of these dictators around the world.
0: Yeah, it's really remarkable. And we don't you know most of us in America we're, we're not we're, we're we're more into the the value the uh the the novelty of it. It seems like a, you know the next generations uh choice of currency, but in in developing countries it is one of the few essential ways that they can get value for the work that they do and not have it stolen by Uh, dictators and and tyrannical leaders and corrupt uh, 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 players in countries. How do we get that topic changed? Because even Congress doesn't talk about it that way very often. How important is it that we have that um, conversation in the marketplace today?
1: It's very, very important. I'll give you a quick example. We assume that the rest of the world runs the way we run in America. We have checks and balances. We have banks. We have bank secrecy laws. These do not apply to places outside the United States, specific places that we discussed. So I'll give you an example. For example, today, the Palestinian Authority is run by a guy who's been in office for 18 years He refuses to hold elections. He's happy where he is now. And he's ruling by decree, even though he was elected only for four years. If this president wants to know my bank account, how much the balance is, uh, how much money is coming into it, who am I paying in that country, it only takes a phone call. There's no due process there's no judicial system there's and so america prides itself as it's a beacon of hope and democracy where you know we want the world to look to us and uh apply what we're doing at home there so that the world is a better place for everybody i think we take things for granted here and, and we need to expand on the discussion how are things different outside and why bitcoin is a tool for freedom for development why is it an, an essential thing? I'll give you another example why it actually can help the US, um, the US dollar. Um, it, take an example Ethiopia. Ethiopia is, the, is a pre- net producer of, of electricity, the cleanest and cheapest electricity in the world. It has a, ha- a population of 100 million people. There's a very high unemployment in that country. If Ethiopia is able to produce electricity and sell it to Bitcoin miners, Ethiopia will demand U.S. dollars to exchange it for, for, for selling electricity. U.S. dollars will be demanded in a place like Ethiopia so that Ethiopia can develop as a, as a country and buy other equipment, other uh, needs that, you know, that, that 100 million people will need in a country, uh, in a country like Ethiopia. So allowing Bitcoin to, to, to thrive will also directly positively impact the demand on the U.S. dollar. Uh, globally, Because people still trust the United States, people still trust uh, the US dollar, and they want to be able to, to trade in that, in that arena. So it, it's beneficial. Um, it, it, maybe people are worried, they're not understanding it, they're not fully understanding it. And, and so maybe that's part of the fear and the pushback. Uh, but but I, I'm here to to shed light on a completely different angle. This is a positive tool. This is a thriving tool for so many people uh, that we need to preserve it and help it prosper. It's uh,
0: it's just amazing. And and the issue of crypto has kind of come up. Uh, cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin, has come up in Iran, both in a positive and a negative way. There's obviously been some concerns that Iran was using Bitcoin to evade sanctions to create uh, transactions without sanctions. At the same time, uh, a lot of the Iranian regime has been cracking down on its own people using Bitcoin mining as a way of uh, buying electricity or uh, doing uh, business around the regime's tyrannical restrictions. Um, how is Iran sort of a case study for where Bitcoin will, will be in the global marketplace in the future?
1: Iran is, actually, Iran is a, is a perfect example. Um, many Iranians who are opposed to the regime and are afraid, and they do not want to be held um, hostage uh, by the Iranian regime, are actually turning to Bitcoin in order to support their opposition uh, to the regime. So they're buying, believe it or not, they're buying from the United States um, Bitcoin hardware wallets, Bitcoin you know, software solutions, look at SeedSigner. SeedSigner is a hardware wallet solution that has right. uh, Yeah, they're, they're selling their, 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 their wallets to, to Iranian uh, who are opposed to the regime. The regime it, it, by the way, most people assume that it's impossible to detect large amounts of Bitcoin. That's not, that's not the case. When, when, when people in Iran are actually using Bitcoin, I think the benefits uh, way, uh, way are are larger than the you know, the, the benefits outweigh any other uh, downside. Uh, so in my opinion, Iran, um, eventually, if there's a chance for Iran to, uh, to be open to democracy, to be open to the rest of the world and change its ways, um, Bitcoin will be a major factor in making this happen. Uh, and that's a place, you know, that's a case in point that we need to, to look at, study and, and, and support. So, um, but to your point, uh, is the Iranian regime uh, trying to use Bitcoin to, uh, to actually evade sanctions? I think that's, that's a hyped subject. I don't actually believe it. They're using proxy countries. They're using countries like Iraq, right. uh, Ye- Yemen. That's how they're a- able to avoid the sanctions and not through Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not big enough for them. To be able to uh, fully avoid sanctions, it's it's they're using neighboring countries to do that, and and not Bitcoin.
0: Fascinating. I mean, it's really interesting. There was a pretty remarkable uh, moment on the market this morning. Uh, the Chinese crypto mining chip maker Nanolabs has applied uh, to uh, raise money in the United States, uh, raised $50 million, I think, on NASDAQ. Um, the Chinese clearly have their plan for the digital one. Um, the United States sort of is a more scattered approach to crypto as of right now. Why is crypto so important to China's future? And how can America counteract China getting a leg up in the, in the battle over cryptocurrencies?
1: I think the fight between the U.S. and and China on the economy is a much larger issue than just crypto. But for the Chinese, uh, I would would never trust a a Chinese cryptocurrency owned and operated by the Chinese central bank. Because one, they can track what I'm doing, they can stop it whenever they want, and they can literally confiscate it with a push of a button. So that's the advantage of Bitcoin. It's hard to do. It's you don't need permission to use it. No one has full control over it. No one central bank. Right? There's no, there is no, isn't that type of intervention, and so people are attracted to that. That's why Bitcoin is able to 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 get the trust of of people worldwide and to to trade in it and and use it. So the Chinese might, you know, they might uh, convert their yuan into a digital currency, but will it become a global phenomenon? Will it become a currency that is trusted by everybody like Bitcoin? I don't believe so. And so that's actually one way the U.S. can push against uh, the Chinese economic expansion by adopting Bitcoin and then allowing it to thrive so that others move away from using the Chinese yuan and start using Bitcoin. Yes,
0: yeah, it's, it's just remarkable to, to see that moment. Uh, when you look at America and you see what we do, have done and haven't done, what is the next most important steps from a regulatory standpoint, from a policy and lawmaking standpoint for America to get the right framework, to make sure that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin uh, becomes an essential part of our economy going forward.
1: My advice is very clear and simple to the lawmakers. Listen to every side of this conversation. Do not just listen to the guys uh, who are advocating for their own uh, bank accounts on Wall Street. Listen to everybody who's using Bitcoin, why it's important for Americans, why it's important for Uh, the the global population, and how that serves American national security interests overall in places like Iran, in places like North Korea, in China, this is essential. And then that should be the driving variables that dictate what comes next from a U.S. uh, law regulatory uh, standpoint on Bitcoin, on cryptocurrency, because this way everybody benefits and not just a specific group are advocating for the elimination of crypto and Bitcoin from the financial conversation.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's just remarkable to see the, the sort of different constituencies. And also, there seems to be a lot of misinformation. One of the greatest challenges for cryptocurrencies, for Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever is in the market is that a lot of people don't quite get it. Man, we're used to having a wallet, you pull out some dollar bills or some coins and you pay. Uh, what is, are some of the most important education campaigns going on so that Americans can embrace and understand and then embrace uh, cryptocurrencies?
1: I urge everybody to look at the Human Rights Foundation website. They have a, a complete explanation of why Bitcoin and how it's being used around the world uh, to benefit uh, individuals, and, and, and what is Bitcoin, so that in a simple way, so that everybody gets it uh so th- that's really where I'm, i i would like everybody to go human rights foundation website they, they have the perfect explanation for everyone
0: yeah no absolutely Fadi. that's an important resource and again it also puts it in the context of how it can advance freedom in the world without you know warfare and other things it's just an amazing tool um as you look out over the next uh few weeks what are some of the most important developments in palestine i know you've You've been out there talking a little bit about Abbas, his wealth, his uh, hold on power, his health. Uh, There is a moment potentially of transition in uh, the Palestine region. Don't you agree?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, He's 87 years old, a heavy smoker, survivor of a few cancers, um, and he's now 18 years in a four-year term. Uh, (laughs) Israeli television stations estimate his net worth at about a billion. I actually think a little more than that. Um, and you can see, look, the, the, the Palestinian Authority over the past 30 years received tens of billions of dollars. And when you look at the, um, you know, the other side of this aid, does it show on the ground? It does not. So I hope the role of the United States and, and other countries who believe in democracy, who believe in people's right to choose their leaders, we will push dictators like Abbas uh, to, to, to give up power, to relinquish power, so that uh, we stand true to our values, which are elections, democracy, and uh, transparency. So, um, yeah, Abbas, I, I, he obviously will transition. But if, he, if we don't have elections, we don't have a democratically elected leader over there, uh, likely the region will will slip into some sort of civil war and, and further uh, violence.
0: Yeah, these are important times to be keeping an eye on that. We have so much going on in the world. We're focused on Russia and Ukraine, but, but the uh, Middle East is also in a very important, delicate state uh, right now. Very important to keep an eye on it. Fadi, real real quickly, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, it it is really at the forefront of everything that's going on in the industry, both worldwide and here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what it does and how people can follow what you do there.
1: Website is btpolicy.org. Please look it up. Follow David Zell, who's this amazing, incredible brain, that is behind the Bitcoin Policy Institute. It sure is. Um, we're literally trying to do just more of what uh, the conversation that you and I just had, and then um, get as many people involved in the Bitcoin uh, conversation as possible.
0: Well, we are so lucky to have you on and to make sense of this. And uh, it uh, it's important to remind everyone the extraordinary tool that Bitcoin could be long-term for spreading freedom and uh, actually fighting corruption in the banana republics of the world. And uh, uh, I think you've opened our eyes a lot to that today, Fadi. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, great to have you on. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Elaine Parker from the Job Creators Network Foundation, that's the small business lobby that's the voice of 30 million businesses on America's Main Street. She'll join us next. www.hometatalog.com today and protect your most important asset the equity in your home all right folks welcome back from the commercial break excited to have this next guest on she's the chief communications officer of one of the most important voices in all of america job creators network the voice of 30 million small businesses on main street america elaine great to have you back on the show
2: Hey, John, thank you so much for having me.
0: Every day there seems to be a new headline that's bad news today. It's the stock market crashing towards bear status. Uh, On Friday, it was the extraordinary inflation rate of 8.6%. The numbers are so bad for everyday Americans. How hard is this for small businesses to survive this sort of climate?
2: Well, John, you know, it, it is continuous bad news, and yet um, somehow the Biden administration just doesn't seem to get the memo on it. I mean, it's record after record after record. It's just not the records that they're talking about. So we have a 41-year high for inflation that came out on Friday at 8.6%. Over the weekend, as a nation, we hit a national gas average of $5 a gallon. Never in the history of this country have we had gas prices that high and yet the administration continues to be tone deaf on it and all of these um these issues these these challenges while they 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 absolutely are decimating everyday ordinary Americans they are hurting our small business owners in a disproportionate way compared to uh you know big corporations who have The ability to um, utilize, uh, you know, big contracts for supply chain issues and they get put to the front of the line because they're the big guys in the room um, and they're able to leverage capital markets that small businesses aren't able to when, you know, sort of tough times come along and they need to bring in some extra money to kind of, you know, smooth things over. Small businesses aren't able to do that. They're able to pay more, um, you know, and, and increase their wages. Um, In a way that small businesses who are, you know, working on very slim margins, for instance, restaurants, um, aren't able to just increase their prices because their customers are so price sensitive. So all the way down the line, our small business owners continue to be disproportionately um, negatively affected by everything that the Biden administration is doing. And in turn, um, everyday ordinary Americans are hurting even worse um, because they're the ones at the end of the line who are bearing the brunt of higher prices on everything, milk, bread, eggs, gas, clothes, housing, you name it. They are being killed every day. And the administration has no plan to solve any of this.
0: Yeah, that, that's really the, uh, the shocking thing. There's just no messaging, no policy, no plan. In fact, I think I saw the Energy Secretary of the Week and say, well, listen, just buy an expensive electric car. That's all you got to do. You'll be fine. Who can afford that when you can't even put groceries in the cart or gas in your current tank? Um, how can they be so disconnected? I mean, this is supposed to be the party of the middle class, the party of the working poor. That's what the Democrats build themselves as. But they seem to be completely disconnected from the reality that they've imposed on those classes.
2: Two examples, uh, one to, to go in line with the buying an expensive car. We've got uh, Debbie Stabenow of Michigan. who's talking about buying her expensive um, electric car and how she drove it from Michigan to Washington. I, I don't know about you, but I don't believe that. Yes,
0: I don't. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I just don't
2: believe that she drove her car from Michigan to Washington, D.C. And then you have Janet Yellen, who's testifying in Congress on everything from abortion to climate change. Um, I don't know if she's gotten the middle, but that's not her job.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right.
2: <laughs> that's not her job. And finally, finally, she admitted to the truth that she did not, that, that, trans, that the inflation here is not transitory, that she was wrong. But are they reversing course on that? No. Nope. you know what the Biden administration's plan is now that she's admitted the truth for everybody? Their plan is to kind of lower her, her, her profile and bring in some economic communicators to spin all of this bad news so that American thinks, Americans think that things are going great um, and so that they can tell us that they've created the most jobs, eight and a half million jobs since he's come into office, um, and that, we are, that Americans feel the best since they have since 2013. Well, let me knock both of those down for you right now, John. Sure. First. We got hit with 22 million jobs lost at the height of the pandemic, something that, I mean, a black swan event nobody saw coming, obviously, um, and we've never experienced before. We are still over 800,000 jobs down from getting back to where we were pre-pandemic. So that means until you get to baseline, President Biden, you haven't created a single job yet, not one. So let, let's knock that down. Um, and then you've got all of this uh, p- gas price increases. You've got $5 a gallon. I mean, it is just incredible how much this, this spin machine continues to tell the American people that they are doing well, when in fact they are not doing well and they're getting hurt every single day. We call it the, the Biden pay cut because yeah. inflation is rising much faster than wages are. It's, it's incredible to me.
0: Yeah, it is. And that's part of the reason why the polls show what 80, 85% of Americans have a gloomy look at the outlook. And of course, when perception drives reality, so as people become more and more certain that the economy is bad, they're going to act as though the economy is bad, which it is, uh, this is going to put us in a long funk. You guys have been really important to get around the spin. You've done some really extraordinary things. And uh, the um, you've got a new billboard up in Times Square, I believe, that uh, I think is getting a lot of attention. Let's tell a little bit about that.
2: Um, we put a billboard up in Times Square um, talking about um, Biden's failures. And there were such a long list of them, we couldn't fit them on one billboard.
0: <laughs> you need two boards, huh? <laughs> or three, maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's such a long list of them. And and again, it is it, it is amazing to me that he continues to tout in his speech, in his economic speeches, um, that uh, the American people feel better than they have at any time since 2013. Well, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you heard, but he was actually quoting data. That's like eight months
0: old. <laughs> wow. He was quoting well, a
2: poll that's eight months old. If you
0: if you don't like the current stuff, just go backwards. So you find something you do like, I guess that's the history.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing wow. to me. It's amazing to me. I, can you imagine if we were quoting eight month old data um, what yeah. would happen on our side. you would be laughed out, hard. yeah. And laughed out, and and what's interesting is um, we heard it the first time, we called him out, we fact-checked him and called him out, and the second time he gave his speech on Friday after the CPI data came out, he didn't use it.
0: Wow, that's impact. How about that? Getting a little bit of truth out of him, that's good. <laughs> I think everybody sees a red blinking sign that reads recession. Uh, are we on the brink of recession in your mind?
2: You know, um, that is certainly something that um, we've been talking about for a long time. And, you know, it is it is something that we are very concerned about um, as as the economy continues to slow down. And, of course, that's what they want. And, um, you know, they continue to push for more reckless spending. Um, there's a lot of money out there that hasn't been spent. Um, yeah. a, and and that is what is driving this inflation. That is what's driving our supply chain issues is. You know, too many, too many dollars chasing too few goods. And and here we are, the perfect storm. Um, and, and what's interesting, John, is we have seen this before in, in the past. I mean, President President Biden has been in Washington, D.C. for over 40 years. Yep. He's there when Carter was president, Jimmy Carter. And he knows he's he has seen exactly these steps happen and he knows exactly what happened to get us out of it. His name is Ronald Reagan.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. There is a roadmap. We've we've done this before. We've known how to survive it, and yet we're uh, we seem like we're repeating history as though nothing had happened before. The um, when you look out now, there's a there's another potential tax coming to working class, working poor uh, Americans, and that is the Obamacare subsidies expire. The Democrats don't have a plan right now. Or at least it looks uh, to. Um, to uh, renew them, which means you're going to have the obligation to still keep your health insurance but no longer get the assistance. How big a deal is this for people already trying to figure out a choice between the gas tank or the shopping cart?
2: Oh, John, this is a ticking time time bug for Americans. Um, Obamacare premiums are set to more than double uh, in 2023. Wow. And the notices are going to go out just before midterms. And so there are a lot of very, very worried um democrats because they're the ones who who kind of caused this bubble um, not only with the original passage of the plan but because right. when they passed the two trillion dollar um, spending bill the american rescue plan included in that legislation was um it enhanced and expanded subsidies for those who were in the exchanges um, but the only way they could get it through congress was to have it sunset. Um, and, and make it temporary And so it's going to expire at the end of this year And who's going to be hurt again um, this, these, these, uh, these cost-saving elements In Obamacare have been smoke and mirrors um, From the beginning um, And this, this was no more A solution, this was simply a way To push a problem down the road And that's increased premiums That yeah. these people see every single year um, It's the same idea as what Biden did With the, uh, with the gas reserves um, you know, he let millions and millions of barrels of oil out in an effort to, quote, fight the high, ca- you know, fight high gas prices. Well, it's the same idea with the subsidies. He put a bunch of money into the system and the people's pockets to pay for the subsidies. And now it's going to end and the subsidies aren't going to just go up the normal. They're going to double because it's been, the, the uh, consequences have been postponed. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to see this blame game happening. But the That's reality right. is, it's because they've never actually gone and solved the problem. And as a result, um, Americans have lost the ability to have um, their the pa- doctor patient relationship. Um, they have lost the ability to have choice. There is no competition in our healthcare system, and we have to inject those free market principles into our healthcare system, just like we do into every other um, economic area of our society, because when we have those principles, um, we have more affordability and we have more of it.
0: It's just remarkable. You wrote, uh, I thought, a really powerful op-ed in, the, in my old uh, John at Washington Times, where I used to be the editor. Uh, and you talk a little bit about your own personal experiences and the challenges that uh, everyday Americans may have for the basics of navigating this healthcare system. Tell us a little bit about what inspired that op-ed.
2: Um yeah, so I've worked in healthcare policy for several several years now. We have a plan ourselves on, on in uh, a free market healthcare plan. Right. Um and and so it's near and dear to my heart. But then um, you know, I had some personal um issues come up. I I lost my sister um, last year um, from cancer, and we have a strong um, breast cancer history in my family, my grandmother, my mother, my sister. So, of course, who's next, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. You always worry. Um, That's what you're thinking.
2: Yeah. So, I I decided after I lost my sister that I wanted to um, kind of face my own healthcare risk and see what I could do proactively. Um, And so I went to my physician and I asked for additional testing um, at my annual mammogram and everything like that. And while my doctor, my personal doctor um, certainly knows my history, he looked at me and he said, I don't think insurance will pay for it. And I said, that's okay, because I am willing to pay for this out of pocket if they reject it. I just need you to order the test And I can't. And so what he put on that order was the words as needed, which meant one thing for me, and that was a six month delay. Ugh. And because of my experience in the healthcare policy area and my belief in what's called direct primary care, which are physicians who have essentially opted out of the healthcare system and they do a monthly premium. It's kind of like a gym membership. You know, right, <laughs> obviously, right? you pay a small monthly fee and you have access to your doctor. You can do telehealth, you can see them anytime. And they only take so many patients because they want to spend time with their patients, not 15 minutes. Um, you know, visits where they're rushing through and you're looking at the back of their head while they're typing on a computer. And so I went to a direct primary care physician. I decided to practice what I preach in my healthcare policy. And right away, she ordered all the tests that I needed, and lo and behold, of course, my um, my test came back that not only was I positive for um, breast cancer gene, um, but basically, because of all the history, my impending diagnosis of breast cancer was, was not really a matter of if, but when. Wow. And so we took proactive steps. I had proactive surgery um, and I reduced my, my risks of breast cancer by 95%. I got all of that accomplished be- in in less time than when my previous doctor could order that first test.
0: Isn't that amazing? Yes. Uh, oh, that, that tells you something about the bureaucracy, first off, that we've created, and two, uh, you have you know such extraordinary uh, policy understanding. You were able to navigate those waters, but a lot of Americans who may not have that knowledge would they be able to make the same navigations you did?
2: Absolutely, it's just understanding that it exists. It's understanding that there's an alternative, and so we work with physicians and physician advocates a- across the country on helping to educate Americans, that there is a different way and it is through the free market system. And what we need to do is kind of peel back that one size fits all in yeah. Obamacare um, and all of those uh, regulations. It's, it's literally a one size fits all. Let me tell you, John, what, what works in New Jersey for, for those residents is not going to necessarily work in Oklahoma for the residents. And what we need to do is peel back that one size fits all and allow those state governments to actually manage and create um, a vibrant healthcare system there that works for those constituents, and allow these insurance companies to come in and provide, you know, the the Cadillac plans to the to the just catastrophic plans right. you know, for what people's needs are, and everything in between. And as we create a competitive market, and and just by virtue of the competition, the cost of healthcare premiums would come down. Um, and people would be able to afford health, health insurance. And people would be able to get more access. Right now, you've got doctors who won't even take Obamacare. You're I, mean, when I yeah. yeah. when I was looking for a pediatrician for my daughter, I literally was asked, you know, they said, what kind of insurance do you have? And I told them who I had. And they said, well, is it on the exchange of that brand insurance or is it um, outside of the exchange, the Obamacare exchange? And I said, oh, this is not the exchange. And she said, OK, because we don't take the other one. I mean, that is a common conversation wow. with doctors' offices. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, the point is, is, if you can inject free market principles into our healthcare system, people will have access, more access, it'll be more affordable, and you'll have more choices. And we can get back to uh, the doctor-patient relationship where the doctors and the patients are making the decisions and controlling the healthcare dollars.
0: Yeah, that's so important, market-driven solutions are going to be the way out of this uh, jungle that we've gotten ourselves lost in. we talk a lot about the problems and the Biden uh, administration has created a mountain of them and also doesn't seem to have the ability to get out from under it. But I wanted to ask you, 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 uh, we look for solutions sometimes. I know Job Creators Network and you and um, Alfredo Ortiz, we have in the show a lot too, are bullish on some of the ideas that the Republican Study Committee has put out there restraining spending? Because that's really the problem right now. We're, we're taking a fire hose of gasoline and blowing it into a fire right now. Are you excited to see some of the ideas that Republicans, and particularly the Republican Study Committee, is coming up with?
2: Absolutely. And, and we, we put out a press release in support of the Republican uh, Committee Study, as, as well as um, uh, particularly one of the provisions is to make the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act permanent. That would be a game changer. Yeah. Um, You know, a lot of people don't realize when the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed, while it was literally like rocket fuel for our economy, the only way to get it passed through a very partisan Congress was to make certain provisions um, temporary and expire. And so everyday middle class Americans are actually going to see a tax increase um, come 2025, unless Congress makes them permanent. And let me tell you, um, no matter who's president and no matter who is in the Congress, nobody has to do anything. It's simply going to expire. There's no no EO, nothing. It's just going to expire. So the Congress has to do something or Americans are going to see a very large tax increase and our small business owners are going to see a tax increase. They're going to see that 20% um, tax deduction that was passed specifically for um, pass-through entities go away. Um, and that was a game changer for our small businesses. We heard that every single day. And we yeah. spent uh, years promoting and getting that message out how much that tax cut helped them.
0: It, uh, you, and people have to remember, Job Creators Network was right at the front uh, table with President Trump and the and the congressional leaders trying to get that tax cut done. It wasn't, that wasn't a sure thing in the fall of 2017, but Job Creators Network was really leading into uh, leading into that and getting it through, muscling it through at a time when a lot of people weren't certain and it had enormous dividends, but it's soon to expire, much like those Obamacare subsidies. A lot of reasons to be fearful. Elaine, what's the, the most important thing that small businesses need from Washington over the next six months?
2: Well, they need certainty. Um, you know, there's there's a constant um, threat of tax increases. And as much as the Biden administration continues to try to convince the American people that it's just going to affect people who are making over $400,000, the reality is they want to um, increase taxes tremendously on uh, companies that are structured as C-Corps. And so as soon as you say C-Corps, you think, oh, Apple and, you know, uh, Walmart and, and those big companies and who cares about them? Well, there's a million small businesses that are structured as C corps that will see a very large increase in taxes um, if some of these threats come to fruition. Um, and just that is, is going to hurt them when they're already facing all of the headwinds of inflation um, and even uh, labor shortages and supply chain issues to all, all also have that sort of long-term threat of the potential of tax increases um, affects what your current decisions are for your business I mean that we all have to schedule out and when businesses are planning five years out and they 're thinking i 'm going to see a thirty percent increase in taxes um, that that is an impact on whether or not you hire more people or expand your business and invest in new products
0: yeah it 's amazing just have something as certain as certainty would be uh, a stabilizing force. We have so much uncertainty right now and One of those is just how high will gas go before it starts to come down. Elaine, we are so lucky to have you on. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with the great work that Job Creators Network is doing?
2: They can go to JobCreatorsNetwork.com.
0: That's a pretty easy place to remember, and it's full of resources, folks. I check it every day. There's always something exciting going on. They have important lawsuits fighting for freedom. It's one of the great forces in all of Washington. Elaine, great to have you, Ante. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth.
0: All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Time to wrap things up today. But of course, before we go, uh, you know, I was sitting on my deck this weekend thinking, boy, it'd be great to have a cool glass of wine. It was warm and humid. And, you know, we're all thinking that way at this moment right now. Why is that? Because it's wine season. It's summer. And we've got a brand new partner here at Justin News. They're known as the Wine Enthusiast. And the Wine Enthusiast designs and offers the largest selections of wine coolers for every drinker, for every budget, every size collection, whether you have six bottles or 600 bottles, the wine storage consultants at A Wine Enthusiast are the best. They have premier products for every part of the wine lifestyle, offering an incredible selection of unique wine accessories, glassware, furniture, wine storage, wine coolers, gifts, and so much more. So to go get a special discount to check out the products all you got to do is go to wineenthusiast.com that's pretty easy to remember wineenthusiast.com or text the word john j-o-h-n to 511-511 either way you're going to get a discount and special offers just for being a part of the justin news family the john solomon reports podcast and don't forget dad you know what father's day is next week so check out the father's day gift shop at the wine enthusiast for dozens of unique and personalized wine whiskey bar and cigar gifts text john to 511 511 to see for yourself what they've got certain exclusions may apply of course you may receive up to one additional text text fees may apply text stop opt out check out it out today guys the wine enthusiasts they are so impressive i was thinking about them this weekend while sipping a nice glass of wine on my back porch all right folks check us out tonight on the just the news not noise television show on real america's voice that's channel 219 on the dish network channel 240 on pluto and on all the apps roku samsung just the news real america's voice why because we've got a congresswoman Claudia Tenney, she is one of the more powerful voices countering the narrative of the January 6th committee hearings. She's going to give us a lot. Plus, she's talking a lot about Trump and China, so many important things going on on that front. Then former Congressman Doug Collins, he'll also be with us. He has a lot to talk about, about crime and the economy. And then Ben Berkwam will give us an exclusive interview. He's the Real America's Voice border consultant. Exclusive new footage and exclusive new evidence about what's been going on at the border. Remember, there was a big ruling this week in Texas and Louisiana, won another immigration court ruling against Joe Biden. This one saying Joe Biden has no legal right to release aliens who are supposed to be deported back into the United States and traffic them into the interior of the country. Federal court overwhelmingly And irrefutably made that ruling this week, and we're going to ask Ben about that. All right, tune in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless you, and God bless this extraordinary country of the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane, like a tick bite,